Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Karen Feiderman, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, the Powell pause continues, and now stocks are pausing along with him. But we will tell you the one thing the Fed chair said that had all of Wall Street talking. Plus, two Dow Downers, Home Depot and Caterpillar, are both getting crushed today, but for very different reasons. We'll tell you what it could mean for the markets. But first, we start off with Tesla's Twitter trauma. Now, stop me if you've heard this before. Elon Musk in hot water as one of his most recent tweets has him warning, warring with the SEC yet again. The stock taking a hit early in the day, but recovering and closing just below 300 bucks a share. Let's get straight to Phil LeBeau in Chicago with all the details. Hey, Phil. And Melissa, let's bring you up to speed in terms of where things stand right now. Today, a judge in New York issued a ruling saying that Elon Musk has until March 11th, that's a week from Monday, to explain to the court why he should not be held in contempt of court. What does Tesla, the company, or the board of directors have to say about what's happened over the last 24 to 48 hours? It's been crickets. We haven't heard a thing officially, but we have heard from Elon Musk. Somebody on Twitter said, look, the stock moved lower on the SEC contempt of court filing than it did on your tweet on February 19th. And he wrote back on Twitter, exactly. This has now happened several times. Something is broken with SEC oversight. As for the SEC, it stands by its filing last night. No further comment today. That filing saying that Elon Musk should be held in contempt of court because he violated the agreement that he signed back in October, which said that all of his financial communications, anything regarding anything material or could be material to investors, would be pre-approved. Oh, and by the way, in their filing, they also made note of the fact that Elon Musk, when he was talking with 60 Minutes back in December, issued this kind of commentary about whether or not his tweets are approved. Have you had any of your tweets censored since the settlement? No. None. Does someone have to read them before they go out? No. So your tweets are not supervised? The the, the only tweets that would have to be, say, um, reviewed would be if if a tweet had a probability of uh, causing a movement in the stock. And that's it? Yeah, I mean, otherwise it's, uh, hello, First Amendment. It's pretty, like, freedom of speech is fundamental. But, but how do they know if it's going to move the market if they're not reading all of them before you send them? Well, I guess uh, we might make some mistakes. As you take a look at shares of Tesla, keep in mind that in the filing last night, the SEC says that Tesla told them, yeah, the initial tweet on The evening of February 19th about whether production would hit 500,000 vehicles, that was not pre-approved. However, they later huddled with Elon Musk and they issued a corrective tweet or a tweet with a correction saying really what I meant to say was 400,000 would be uh, the production for 2019. One last thing, Melissa, I get a lot of people asking me this question. Well, why isn't there somebody, an executive, somebody with the board of directors, somebody at Tesla standing up and saying, you know what, we're going to take control of this situation. That has not happened since Elon Musk has been running this company. And I'm not sure why people would expect it to happen in this case. This is Elon Musk's company, and he has shown 
since he started this company that it moves to his drumbeat. In other words, you will hear people say, well, an executive should stand up and say, this is outrageous. We're going to take control of the situation or I'm going to be in charge of the situation. Name one time where that has happened. It, it, it just has not happened over the history of Tesla with Elon Musk. Bill, um, when Elon Musk came back onto Twitter, uh, I think it was today or, or maybe last night, and he, he said, hey, the SEC apparently didn't read the earnings call transcript, right. in which case, you know, he had said 300 to 500,000. Right. Um, could it be construed that maybe this wasn't material information in so much that it had been released to the public in another format at some other point in time? Sure. Sure, and that would li that is likely the argument that you will hear from right. the legal counsel at Tesla that, look, this came out in the conference call, and let's be honest here, he corrected this within a couple of hours to say, look, I misspoke saying 500000 It's really going to be closer to 400000 as we reported in the earnings call. And, and that's, Melissa, that's what you hear a lot of people right now on social media saying the SEC is overreacting. The fact of the matter is this is because the SEC, and the reason that they're trying to hold him in contempt of court is because he violated the terms of the agreement. The agreement that he signed that all of his financial communications would be pre-approved. That is at the heart of the SEC complaint. Not whether or not it's an egregious statement that he made on Twitter, but whether or not the process was violated. You have a question, Karen? Yeah, so Phil, on the, on the spectrum of what contempt could mean, what is the range right. of penalties that they could be facing? I've, I've talked to a few people today and all of them have said the same thing. Look, the SEC, if they really, really wanted to throw the book at Elon Musk and at Tesla, could go to the judge and say, look, we had an agreement. He clearly violated it. He thumbs his nose at us on 60 Minutes. He does it on social media, says, I don't need to listen to the SEC. Throw the book at him. Kick him out of the CEO suite. Nobody thinks that's going to happen. More likely is that the SEC is going to look to work with Tesla to say, look, we gave you a chance. And in our opinion, he violated it. So now we've got to come up with some way of ensuring that this doesn't happen again. How that has worked out, that remains to be seen. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau covering a very thorny story today. So the question is, why did the stock basically finish flat? Guy, That's should investors care? At yeah, this point, should. is it all in the stock, this whole sort of wild card of Elon Musk going rogue? It's interesting. So, well, a couple things. I think he, he views authority figures and authority groups with, with utter contempt. I think you know, He thinks he's so much smarter, and he, and he probably is. There's a part of me that thinks he's doing this because he doesn't want to be CEO anymore. He finds the minutia of the job probably boring and below his pay grade, as crazy as that might sound. Maybe the best thing that could happen to Tesla is... He does get bounced from the CEO spot, and he remains with the company in some capacity. That could be the best of both worlds. But to answer your question, yeah, the stock traded pretty well today, I think. I thought it had every opportunity to trade down to 280 and stay there. It didn't do it. So, again, you find yourself in the bottom quarter of a range that it's been in now for the last couple of years, and maybe for the first time in a while it's taken fire on the long side. It makes sense. I, well, I mean, part of the reason why you're an investor in Tesla is because Elon Musk is going rogue. He's going rogue on electric vehicles. He's going rogue on the carbon decarbonization of the electric grid. You're in it because this guy is a change maker, and that's why you're in the stock. That being said, I think if you take him out of the CEO role, you make him chairman, executive chairman, he's still going to tweet. This is going to happen. It, he's proven it. He doesn't care about those rules. So investors in this, number one, need to know that this is going to happen, and number two, need to understand that you're betting on somebody who doesn't want to follow the rules and is going to break the rules. That is, to me, why Tesla is valuable and why the stock didn't go down 
down today? Because if you lose well, Elon Musk, I think you, you don't have much of an investment case. Well, hold here. on a second. I mean, you know, first of all, since when is the stock price reflected reality? OK, so if you guys actually think that the stock price should be trading on fundamentals, then the stock should be um, at a very different level. And you know where I think it's going to be. Remember, no, but again, I mean, the reaction to the funding secure, the reaction to the initial SEC investigation, I mean, that, that was a pronounced I don't move care. in the I mean, stock, right? And so yeah, I agree with you in some respects. But in, in terms of the reaction to Elon Musk going rogue on Twitter, the stock has certainly reacted in the past. We've seen it, it. it has. And, and I'm not going to try to tell you, uh, you know, give you a, a psychoanalysis of, of the stock price movements, but I'm telling you, stock price does not reflect liquidity, and, and that's exactly the most important thing. It doesn't reflect liquidity in the underlying stock, but more importantly, it doesn't reflect solvency in the company. It does not reflect fundamentals in terms of where the production is going. It doesn't reflect the valuation, and it never has. And think about what's happened over the last couple months. You've seen two of the biggest investors, actually three of the biggest investors, cut their positions in half. You had the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund basically hedge out their position. You've got a short interest that's, that's massive that obviously on some level is going to keep this stock you know, afloat. I am of the view that if this stock has major problems, um, they will happen with the stock price at a very inflated number, not at a much lower number. I don't think the stock price means anything. Well, I think that clearly they've come to the public markets. They use the public markets, right? They have debt, they have equity, and so they like all the benefits of public markets, but clearly Elon Musk doesn't want to live by the rules of public markets. Therefore, this should not be a public company. I really believe that. He is a change maker. He is, he is a genius in many ways. He's clearly not a guy who likes to play by the rules. We don't know that the board hasn't tried to rein him in. We don't know that, right? I think they might, you know. So why haven't they resigned then? I mean, in other words, if I'm a board member, this guy's really dangerous for me. The board should be embarrassed. The SEC should be embarrassed. In other words, this guy is running roughshod on everybody. I, he is. I, I, look, I think that, you know, that it's probably a pretty cool thing, actually, to be on the Tesla board. Seriously, I think it is. This is difficult for sure. I'm surprised we haven't seen some resign because it can't be that cool and that fun for everybody. I would think the DNO insurance but for the Tesla board would be as high as any company in the world. That may be. I don't think it should be public. I really don't. I think his First Amendment r- argument is ridiculous. When you have a public company with public securities that you can tweet whatever you want because it's a First Amendment thing, that's absurd. But maybe at this valuation, there, there, isn't a, there isn't a private market deal to be done. But I think they should do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, if they can, if they can. If they can. But let's, right. let's, say, let's say, you know, obviously, whatever goes on with Elon Musk at this point, I, I don't know if it's going to, it, it's just another reason for the bears to not like the stock. But if you're a bull on Tesla, is this reason for concern in your view, Guy? Is this a reason why the stock should maybe, maybe trade in a range, be discounted, be re-rated because there should be some sort of discount embedded in the stock because of the wild card that Elon Musk may present? Yeah, I mean, if you're, you absolutely should be concerned if you're a bull, but maybe I didn't make my point clear at the top of the show, like the price action today was encouraging. Again, yeah. given the news that we've seen, given the news we've seen over the last couple months, the market had every opportunity to take this stock to the woodshed. It tried earlier and it was unsuccessful. So the fact that it did close unchanged, I understand it's just a day. That's encouraging. And the bull thesis, you're right. But that's been the case now since you bought the stock at any period of time, right? The case, I think it's not, is he going to tweet crazy stuff? Because he is going to tweet, tweet crazy stuff. We know that. We've seen it multiple times. The question is, is his CEO-ness ever going to really be at stake? It doesn't seem like it from this but that's that because we, we've had this discussion before. If he leaves, I think the stock falls a lot. Right. How far is he going to push it? Right. How far is he willing to go? And how far is the SEC willing to push back and say, you know what? If there is a ruling that says Elon Musk has to leave as CEO, 
I think that would be a negative for the stock. So, you know, I, I would buy the stock because I think Elon Musk is going to be there. But as I said at the top, if he's not there, to Tim's point, the valuations aren't great. The prospects aren't great. They've got to raise money. There's so many problems with this. You're in it for Elon Musk. You know, while the stock was flat, I noticed another stock on Twitter. the move, and that would be shares of Twitter, closing the day down 3%. Now, what did Jack Dorsey tell our friend over at Recode, Kara Swisher, um, I, on Twitter? He read, said, read. Go. He said, basically, that Elon Musk was one of the most exciting Twitter users out there. So if Elon Musk gets a muzzle, if people start feeling that they need to be muzzled in some way, with Twitter, if Twitter can be a weapon of self-destruction, <laughs> what happens to Twitter? Because I, I don't know what was behind this move today. It was a, it was a clear That's underperformance. That's interesting, Melissa. But, I mean, you know, again, this sounds to me like now we're giving Elon Musk a lot more credit and adding, you know, he's the reason why Twitter's valuation is what it is. That's almost as absurd to me as Twitter's value. I mean, as Tesla's valuation. So I hear you. Um, and I do think his tweets are the, 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 the subject of enormous speculation laughter, horror, uh, you tell me. Um, but when I think about it, Twitter responding because uh, I think Twitter would have a much bigger issue if the president stopped tweeting rather than Elon Musk. And by the way, I don't think in either case, the reason why Twitter is such a great platform is because this is happening in real time. And while there's a lot of fake news, there's a lot of really smart people who are doing a lot more work on, on Tesla than I think a lot of the people out there who own the stock. In fact, I bet most of the retail investors that own the stock haven't even read the 10K. Uh, and yet the people out there on Twitter follow this stock really closely, and I think that's pretty interesting. I think that's fair. I think Tim makes it, listen, the people that have done probably the most work are probably the people that are playing it for, from the short side that have been frustrated now for the last couple of years because it's not at the price that they think it should be trading at. That's probably typically true with a lot of stocks. With that said, I think that the sell-off in Twitter today, if that's in fact where it's on the back of, is overdone. And when they went in a couple weeks ago when they said, we're changing the metrics, I think they took their medicine Twitter. And I think going forward, that's going to help them a great deal. So if you're asking to sum up this conversation, I think Tesla traded well, and I would buy Twitter on this weakness. Coming up, Wall Street's biggest bear sounding a lot like a bull. Wells Fargo's Chris Harvey will be here to explain why he is changing his tune and saying this market rally is going to roll on. Plus, it's a big... A big cat call. UBS out with a double downgrade on the stock to a sell rating. But are we really witnessing peak cat? The traders will weigh in. And later, it's raining buybacks. Home Depot, just the latest company to announce a major buyback. But could a buyback bubble be brewing? We've got all the details. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on General Electric. Let's get to Morgan Brennan at the New York Stock Exchange for all the details. Morgan. Hey, Melissa. Well, General Electric did, did just drop its uh, 10K filing with the SEC. Also, Larry Culp, CEO and chairman uh, of GE, his first annual letter to GE shareholders. We're still combing through all of the materials here, but some of the tidbits that do stand out right now, especially in that letter, 
uh, saying that the company intends to maintain a disciplined financial policy targeting a sustainable credit rating in the single A range. GE industrial leverage of less than two and a half times net debt to EBITDA, a GE capital debt to equity ratio of less than four to one, and ultimately a dividend level in line with our peers. You'll recall the company has slashed the dividend two times. It's now down to a quarterly dividend of a of a penny. So just to hear those comments, no details on when that could potentially happen. Uh, but just to hear comments like that marks a shift from what we've seen for this company in the last couple of years as it tries to turn itself around. Also, Culp talking about uh, the fact that they're looking to change and revise and, and, and streamline their reporting process going through the 10K. I haven't seen any more updates or details in terms of some of those investigations with regulators either. But uh, for now, looking at the materials, uh, the fact that they are ultimately targeting a dividend in line with peers is the thing that really stands out. Also worth noting, next week we're going to be getting a so-called teach-in on the insurance business within GE Capital. And the following week, on the 14th of March, is when we expect an updated outlook for this company for 2019 and beyond. We're not getting any of those types of numbers in this release right now either. Melissa? Right. All right, Morgan, thank you. Morgan Brennan, uh, another headline coming out here is that they completed a 2018 review of the legacy insurance business, which dovetails with what Morgan had said. In terms of the dividend, they just cut that in October. So there's only been one payout of that dividend at a penny. That is one of the fast, I mean, for, for yeah. them to cut it and then turn around basically a few months later well, and say, hey, we're going to... Th- Think, think about, granted Why? there's no time frame, about restoring <laughs> yeah. it in line with peers. I don't get that, really. they got a lot of other stuff to do. Also, I question in line with peers. What are their, who what are, are their, their peers? peers? Right. What are At their businesses point. they're going to be in? I, I, don't, we, I mean, we kind of have the big idea of it, but maybe that's not what ends up happening. It seems like uh, it's sort of free for the CEO to just leave the dividend at a penny, work on the other stuff, work on the balance sheet. You can always revisit that later. That's odd. I don't, I don't really get it. Well, restoring confidence at GE takes many different forms. And, and one of the forms is certainly the balance sheet and some sense of solvency um, and certainty. And that's what GE always had for people. So if you think about that, um, that's why he talks about a dividend someday. Uh, in the meantime, they also just filed a shelf uh, offering registration uh, for a potential mixed shelf which we don't know what it is. We don't know what the size. By the way, good news, not bad news, good news, because I think the market wants these guys to have some flexibility, to have some financing in the tank if they need it. At the same time, he's talking about very sane things. He's talking about four clear business lines. So there was nothing extraordinary here either way, but it plays on the same themes of predictability of a company that at least is getting back to a conservative approach to running their core businesses. And that sounds outside of paying a div. I agree right now. You don't need to do that. I don't think there's anything wrong with telling people we want to be that company again, and I'm taking us there now. But does that give you predictability? I mean, to me, all of a sudden it says they're taking the eye off the ball. They're saying someday we want to do this dividend. It, it, it doesn't give me any more predictability. In fact, it gives me a little bit of agita, frankly, like, wait a second, they just sold a unit. Maybe it's all of a sudden now they're going to go back to their old ways. I, 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 I agree with Karen. Like, why do this now? Just wait until you can actually pay it and then do it. It's interesting. I think Tim brings up, because that's what I saw. 458, GE files mixed security shelf, indeterminate amount. So the stock closed at 1065. If they had done the same thing, same announcement two and a half months ago-ish, I think the market would have treated this much differently. So to Tim's point, I think 
maybe they feel they're on much firmer ground there that they're able to do something like that to play from strength instead of weakness. So I look at that as a good sign. Getting back to the conversation we had yesterday, though, you know, what is GE now? It's a power company, and they have still major issues to address in those businesses. Clearly, they're trying to, but selling that healthcare unit for $21 billion, which was great, by the way, yeah. probably a lot more than they thought, that's fantastic. But what are you left with? And that's what they have to come to grips with. So are you more certain about buying GE if you were to buy GE? You're, I'm you're long, long leaps. This, I have leaps okay. in 20. Right. You feel better about the stock today at 1066 versus 666 it's low. Versus 666. Yes, I do. I think yeah. some good things have happened. And, and the markets, remember, GE debt is really a concern, and the debt markets were yeah. seizing up. So if they needed to access them, that would have been real trouble for GE. It's much better now. Yeah, I mean, Karen talking about the concept of fallen angels, by the way, is something we were all talking about in December, and GE was one of those names we weren't talking about, right? It was right. kind of like, so um, I, I think it's a much better time in terms of the credit profile of the company with enormous issues that everyone here is talking about still ahead of them. But I think a hard focus on, on returning to you know, austerity in a way that's not going to choke it off. I know they can't have it both ways, but I like what I hear. All right, so I had Kat getting scratched today oh, after a rare nice. double <laughs> downgrade from UBS. But can this cat bounce back? The traders will weigh in. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. This is a good time to be patient. And those are the words Wall Street loves to hear from Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell. But there's something else he said that caught the attention of our traders. Plus, it's a monster mash of monster buybacks. Home Depot, just the latest in a line of companies doubling down on its own stock. But we'll tell you why there could be a buyback bubble brewing. Much more Fast Money still ahead. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. Patient Powell strikes again. The Federal Reserve Chair reiterates his plan to pause this year. Our senior economics reporter, Steve Leisman, is standing by in the newsroom with all the details. Steve. Thanks, Melissa. Yeah, Fred Chairman Jerome Powell, day one of his congressional testimony, offering a generally dovish outlook on policy, closed the door entirely on another rate hike this year, but emphasized the Fed is in a wait-and-see mode. The committee has decided that with... Uh, with our policy rate in the range of neutral, with muted inflation pressures, and with some of the downside risks that we've talked about, this is a good time to be patient and watch and wait and see how the situation evolves. So if it sounds like he said that before, it's because he has. Powell stuck very closely to words from his January Fed meeting and the press conference when the Fed pivoted from a policy of gradual increases to a policy of patience. 
Powell offered an optimistic view on the U.S. economy, but the headwinds he was talking about were both foreign and domestic, saying they've clouded the outlook. And Powell suggested he didn't see any threat from the economy running out of workers. He said the economy is drawing in workers from the sidelines, lessening any inflation threat from an overheated job market. Day two of Powell's testimony is tomorrow in front of the House. That could be more contentious with several new committee members, especially on the House side, who have their own agenda that may not be the same as the feds, Melissa. You know, Steve, you, you emphasize patient when it comes to describing Powell. And what came to my mind initially was political. I had read this article on CNBC.com about how many times Powell went to Capitol Hill and visited lawmakers, a total of 98 times, which was four times as many as Yellen uh, did in her first year in office. And, and I just sort of wonder if he got the message uh, in terms of the pivot, in terms of the pause, in terms of being patient from listening to these politicians. Wow, how many peas can you get into I a single sentence? Oh, nice. No, that was pretty Sneaky. impressive. Um, well, first of all, that's great work that Alan Mui did out of our D.C. bureau right there, looking at the uh, uh, agenda and the calendar of, of uh, Chairman Powell. Look, this is something that actually Powell thought he needed to take care of when he first took office. He thought both Yellen and Bernanke had not done as good a job of taking care of Congress uh, as as they should have. And I think he saw the writing on the wall with this particular president, because I think he expected the president might one of these days criticize Powell. And what the Fed knows and what the Fed thinks is that they're beholden to Congress. The Congress is the one that writes the checks, creates the uh, Federal Reserve Act. And that's what they have to take care of, that taking care of uh, the president doesn't matter as much as if he has pr trouble in Congress. So that was from day one. And we'll see, Melissa, by the way, tomorrow when he when he sits in front of the House, how much some of that politicking may or may not have helped him. Yeah. Steve, thank you. Pleasure. Steve Leeson back at headquarters. All right. So this is exactly what the markets wanted, right? Right. I'm yes. Pause. Yeah. Well, it, let, let's be clear. Um, arguably the most important thing that's that's happened to markets in the last six months. And, and, and that is obviously ahead of the trade war. So, yes, I think the fact that the Fed also is allowing inflation to be defined differently, which allows them when they have to respond. Let's be clear. I think they still tilt to a hawkishness. I mean, I, we could still get a hike this year. Let's see where we go. I'm not saying it's going to happen right away. But this allows the reaction effect for them to be perfect because they, they, they can say inflation's, yeah, we want it higher. I think they've left the building. I think they are gone until somewhere else around the world. I mean, right? They can't just keep hiking now and then just have the dollar get stronger. And I think until somebody else is out there to help, I don't think they're going to do anything. And I think they're getting, and the market's sort of like it. And, you know, the president likes it. Not that they should care about that, but I think they are gone unless something extremely dramatic happens. Yeah, unfortunately, that's probably true. But, you know, if you think about it, as citizens of this country, we should want a stronger U.S. dollar. And when I say the Fed was doing the right thing in October, yeah, maybe it wasn't the right thing for the markets, but it was certainly, in my opinion, the right thing for the economy going forward. At some point, you have to take your medicine. And I think this was a Fed chair that realized that and was trying to go down that road until the market called him on it. So effectively, in my world now, the Fed can never move because the market's always going to call the Fed on it and the Fed's going to have to back down. That, to me, is a real problem. But is that good for the markets? Is that it's good, good for, for the, the market? Market's 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, whether yeah. you agree with it or not, it's good for the market. Look at what's going on. Real estate, IYR, one of the better performing ETFs out there. Why? Because the Fed's going to be lower for longer. Now, again, it could all go sideways in the end, uh, but for the Federal Reserve right now, it's good for the market. Well, our next guest says with the Fed on pause, the market rally will roll on. So why is Wall Street's biggest bear sounding so bullish? Let's welcome back Chris Harvey, Wells Fargo Securities Head of Equity Strategy. Now, when we say biggest bear, your end target is 26.65. That is correct. So, so why you keep saying the market's going to go higher? So we set that price target in December. We set that price target because we thought the Fed made a mistake. The Fed came out and admitted they made a mistake. And so as we go forward, we pushed up our risk premium very, very high to our high end of our historic range. The Fed has said, okay, we're, we're on hold. And similar to Karen is they may, be, they may halt, all right? This, we might, might not see another hike again or anytime soon. That said, we have to bring that down. In addition to that, what's happened? We were going into, uh, I would say, a sentiment recession. That all changed at the beginning of the year when the Fed did a 180. Why they did a 180 is not clear to me, but they did a 180, and that's the most important thing. Then what happened is credit spreads started to come in. The fear of the yield curve inverting ended. And now if you listen to corporations, CEOs, they're all saying that things are good. Lastly, Donald Trump is slow walking trade and tariff into the back half of the year because that, in theory, is going to help him get reelected. That, in theory, is going to help global economies. And so what you're looking at, what you're seeing is much more improvement and underlying fundamentals that are relatively strong with lower interest rates. Okay. Um, you came out with a note today also going overweight semiconductors, which right. is maybe one of the most cyclical parts of the U.S. stock market. So right. all in all, you sound a lot more bullish than what 2665 would seem yeah. to indicate. It's just, it's just a matter of time before you ratchet that higher. I mean, do you so, ultimately think that we end the year higher here? So our, our price target is very formulaic. So we're going to put in interest rates. We're going to put in credit spreads. We're going to put in our risk premium. And, and if you think that interest rate, well, we know that interest rates have come down. We know that credit spreads have come down. We know the risk premium can't, cannot go any higher. And we're at 166 on the S uh, on S&P earnings. We're at the low end of the range. We're not going to lower that. So we put that all together. We're reviewing it. Likely it will go higher. But really, our biggest call has been, the biggest change for us has been moving from quality into value. And, and that's part of why we're we're upgrading semis at this point in time. We find a lot of value in the semi space. We've been overweight software. That's worked out very well. We're bringing that back down. And we think what you want to do is buy the things. And, and as we said last time we were on the show, you want to buy the things that have a lot of value, where expectations have come down, and where people aren't there just yet. So, Chris, uh, let's talk about semis because you're not alone. You have very good company in, yep. in terms of your whole view and how a lot of this stuff has changed. Uh, but semis have just rallied 25%. And, and, and there's nobody out there that's saying earnings are about to grow. Right. And there's nobody out there that's saying we're, we're going to see an, an acceleration in the global economy in right. 2019. Okay. So what we've seen, so we've been under, underweight semis for the last year and a half, almost two years. Uh, and if you look at semis over the last year, they have underperformed software and underperformed significantly. If you look at expectations, expectations have come down. And if we look at positioning, most of the long onlys are overweight. The consensus overweight is software. It's not semis. Yes, they've bounced, but a lot of other things have bounced too. And furthermore, we've been, we've been positive on cyclicals. Coming into this year, we've liked the capital goods space. That's ratcheted back up. We're just getting a little bit more cyclical exposure. And what we're trying to do is play that value trade. 
So, Chris, I'm curious. The Fed has spoken a lot about price level targeting, maybe in getting inflation right. above 2%. How does that factor into your right. analysis of the market? So a lot of our clients, they're afraid that the Fed's going to hike again. And what we tell them, if they're going to hike again, what's the environment look like? Expectations, or if you look at inflation expectations, they have to be higher. If you look at the economy, that has to be higher. And to a certain degree, you might have to have trade and tariff um, resolve, maybe not resolved, but much further along. And so when they raise, it's likely the S&P will be at a higher level. Chris, thank you. Good to see you. Thank Chris you. Harvey, Wells Fargo. Dig him. Chris. I don't dig the fact that he thinks the Fed was making a mistake. I think the mistake they're making is now, again, is another reversing. show, another conversation. Sure. In terms of the sure. SMH, Tim's made the point. The SMH has gone from 80-ish to 104 and a half, which is where it closed today. I mean, that's a pretty big move in a short period of time. It topped out this time last year around 114. So I wonder how much room is left to the upside. I think there's a chance you get there. But I think, you know, a lot of these stocks have had tremendous moves in a short period of time. So I would wonder, worry about that. All right. Coming up, the buyback boom showing no signs of slowing as Home Depot announces a $15 billion share repurchase. But are these monster buybacks creating a massive bubble? We will explain. Plus, UBS out with a major cat call today, and that sent oh. the stock sinking. But one of the traders says, fear not, because cat could have another life. Find out why <laughs> when Fast Money returns. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. The buyback boom continuing as Home Depot announces a $15 billion share repurchase. Bob Pisani is at the NYSE with more on that. Hey, Bob. Hello, Melissa. Fed Chairman Jay Powell sidestepped a verbal hand grenade in his congressional testimony today when asked where he stood on the recent trial balloons to restrict the ability of corporations to buy back stock. Powell reflected for a moment and then said the allocation of capital has always been left to the private sector. And, quote, I would want to understand the consequences of changing that. It was a perfect answer to a politically divisive question. After buying back more than $900 billion in 2018, a record year, corporations have shown no signs of slowing down with the buybacks in 2019. Already we've seen $190 billion in announced buybacks. Today, Home Depot announced a massive $15 billion stock buyback, which will reduce the shares outstanding by about 7% if fully implemented. After the bell, Gap announced a new $1 billion buyback program as well. They follow on Cisco, AIG, Foot Locker, CSX, and many other corporations that have announced buybacks in 2019. The Home Depot buyback is a very large one, but it's part of a pattern that goes back many years. Nearly 80 companies in the S&P 500 have reduced their share count by at least 25% since 2010. This is a class of corporations I call buyback monsters, including well-known names like Lowe's and Gap and IBM and Apple. Is this a bubble that's about to burst? Well, it's unlikely as long as two conditions are prevalent. First, that corporations continue to generate excess cash flow that is used to buy back stock. And second, that interest rates remain low, which would enable an alternative way to buy back stock. And that's by borrowing. This is the hornet's nest that Powell stepped into. So the Fed and indeed the Congress should understand the consequence of changing that, as Powell said, before stepping in and dictating to corporate America how it should be spending its profits. This is going to be a big issue in the next two years, Melissa. Back it certainly to you. is. Bob, thank you. Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange. I'm glad the Fed chairman actually said we have to understand the consequences of doing this before we actually do this. I think that's very important. Um, in terms of the dangers... In this environment, 
why would we be worried? The interest I rates don't are know. so low. I think also, well, a buyback, if you lever up to do a buyback, that's one thing, right? But we have companies Only if you that can't have, service your debt, though, right? Right. But we have companies that have very modest amounts of debt where, where the buyback is really not, a, not in any way, you know, hurting the balance sheet. I, I, I don't know. To me, that's a disciplined thing to do. It doesn't seem to be a crazy thing to do, right? You've seen, you've seen empire builders who are like, no way I'm going to give that money back to shareholders. I'm going to go buy some stuff, even if it doesn't make any sense. Right. I think it's a disciplined thing to do. I, I, I like when I, I have sh- companies that buy back stock. I don't think that this is definitely not the case with Home Depot. But, but the, the criticism is that there's companies that are out there buying back stock and they can't even fund their own pension. Um, and that's an issue. And, and, and I'm not, I don't want to get into the politics of this because... I think but, that but, is debt that's not but, serviced. But, but it, yeah, it's I was going to say, so ultimately th- this is a liability for the company and you have to look at their balance sheet and you have to understand a funded pol- you know, a pension or, or, or not. But um, ultimately... Who bears the brunt? I mean, the taxpayers bear the brunt of all this. And, and the argument is that the buybacks are enhanced because guys took tax cuts, um, and especially during a trade war, got really scared and decided just to throw it onto their balance sheet. Mm-hmm. Or you take a look at an IBM. And a general a serial buy, right, buybacker of stock. And you think, hmm, maybe I they could have done something with their money. Yeah, but I mean, no, listen, no. Most, most companies do, do it well. I mean, you either it's really simple. Either you believe that the private sector can allocate capital the best, or you believe that the public sector can. At this point in time, we live in a semi-capitalist economy where it means that private sector allocates best. We've grown a massive economy off of that. And to change that, I think, is out- outrageous. That doesn't mean that, that pensions shouldn't be funded. doesn't mean that we don't have problems with it. But in terms of having the government tell you how to allocate capital, it's a recipe for disaster. And I don't think anybody would be advocating that. But when you do take a look at an IBM and, and you see them buying back stock, and they've done this for all this time, and their stock has gone south any Anyway, yeah. uh-huh. that's you, buybacks don't solve all no. corporate problems. And, and I know we're out of time, but I'll say yeah. this quickly. One of the many unintended consequences, in my opinion, of a Fed being overly accommodative now for a decade is the fact that it's made many corporations, their governance, lazy, where all they have to do, borrow money cheap, buy back their stock, game over, and they're not focused on their company. It's stock-specific. Mm-hmm. But it's a problem. Yeah. Google buyback stock, please. <laughs> <All> right, <go laughs> ahead. From buybacks to beds and baths and beyond, this stock has rallied a whopping 46% this year. But one trader is betting more than $1 million that the linen seller is about to get put through the wash. Mike Coe is with us from San Francisco with the options action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so we did see a big and unusual trade in Bed Bath & Beyond today. We saw someone buy 19,000 of the May 14 puts. They spent 67 cents per contract times 100, so that's $67 per contract times 19,000. That represents just under 2 million shares, and they're making a potentially bearish bet here that the stock could fall as much as 20% by May expiration. And I think they're probably targeting earnings, which they're going to announce on April 10th. It has moved an average of over 13% over the last eight quarters when they report. All right, Mike, thanks for that. Mike Coe, for more Options Action, check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And for more on Big Box and Home Depot, you can tune into Mad Money. And tonight, Jim is breaking down why the worst may be behind the Big Box retailer. Catch that at the top of the hour. Still ahead on Fast, check out GW Pharma soaring after that company saw triple-digit revenue growth last quarter. Better-than-expected sales of Epidiolex will bring you the very latest on that stock when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Cat gets scratched. Here's a caterpillar falling today after a double downgrade from buy to a sell over at UBS. And it's our call of the day. The firm cutting the stock's price target down to $125 a share, saying it expects more than half of Cat's end markets to peak this year. So 
Are we witnessing peak cat, Tim? Well, I would make an argument that cat was declawed oh. in 2018 when we knew that those markets were peaking in 2019. So to come out and tell me right now that, by the way, those markets are going to peak in 2019, no real surprise. Um, for a company who's trading at around 11 times multiple when uh, two years ago it was trading 15, 16 times, I think you've gotten a lot of this, you know, cat scratch fever, uh, if I may, uh, out, out of the way. So, um, no, I, I don't, I, I'm not going to jump in and buy a stock that's essentially trading in the bottom third of the valuation for the last 52 weeks. Um, I actually think a lot of bad news is priced in. Yeah, Guy. You have to, you know, you would think that UBS, the downgrader, is privy to the same information that we all are. And what are uh, we maybe talking about? More. Maybe, maybe more. Maybe even more information. And what are we talking about? Uh-huh. Almost every, seemingly, this the China deal. China deal. China, and we say that if there's a China deal. Poster child poster of the child trade war. Be, they yes. know, UBS knows that. So the fact that they come out with this double downgrade, they go from buy to sell. They skip the whole whole thing. Good for them, by the way. They had to take that into consideration. So you have to ask yourself this. Is it, do they think a deal is not happening? And if there is a deal, are they saying it's all priced in already? And to Tim's point, maybe the growth isn't as robust as we hope it is. It's a fascinating well, call, then, in my would, Could that make you think, hmm, if it's priced hmm. into cat stock, the poster what? child of the trade war, then how about the rest of the market? Yeah, I, I mean, they priced it exactly. In. They're, t- they're talking about effectively the rest of the world slowing down, right? So if every you actually part of the world every is part of the world, so if you actually buy into that thesis, then you really shouldn't be long stocks at all, right? I mean, unless you think the Fed's going to come to your rescue, which they probably will at some point, but they're not going to hear. So this is a bigger call than just cat, in my view. They're making a call on the global economy here, and if you think it's slowing down, that is not great for stocks. Karen. Totally agree, right? It is very much a macro call. It would seem to be there's other bangs for your buck. This is a good one. Mm-hmm. Boeing, you got to think there's downside there if mm-hmm. I, I think there will be a deal. So I'm long. Right. Feels like trying to herd cats. Uh, uh, every uh, night. Uh, <laughs> Still ahead. <laughs> GW Pharma soaring well, after its earnings report. That stock is now up more than 70% this year. We'll tell you what's got investors so excited. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more fast money. Still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on GW Pharma. That stock jumping after hours. Let's get to Seema Modi for all the details. Hey, Seema. Hey, Melissa. That's right. GW Pharma shares soaring despite reporting a quarterly loss. It's Epidiolex product aimed at patients with epilepsy, which is the first FDA-approved drug that contains a purified drug substance derived from marijuana. It launched in the U.S. in November. It's seeing high level of physician and patient demand. And in addition to its U.S. launch, it's looking forward to a positive regulatory decision in Europe in the next few months. So international is expansion is part of the story here. GW shares uh, up about 30% in the past year and up 9% in extended trade. Melissa, back to you. All right, Seema, thank you. Seema Modi, back at headquarters. Guy, you actually, as you like to call it, power pitch. Yeah. What is that? It's like a power. great Fast segment on this pitch. show oh. when you go over to the smart board and you talk about it's your power pitch this, this show's called Fast Money. Trade it. Yeah. So it would be a Anyhow. <laughs> yeah, we did. And I was actually trying to, when did G-Swizzle power pitch that sucker? And I think it was probably around this time last year or so. And look, this, the, the, the stock has gone from 100 to 170, back to 100. And here we are at 165 or so. It's been a tremendous move in a short period of time. But, and Tim knows, has forgotten more about this than I'll know, but the tailwinds in the space are real. This is a real company. 
yes, valuation, clearly a ridiculous concern. However, when you have the kind of tailwinds they have, and now all of a sudden you have the, the science behind it that proves it, and we had a conversation similar last night, and Dan Nathan, who would poo-poos all the time, he poo-pooed me on that, yeah. I'm sure he's watching right now. You can't argue with the science, and in the end, science wins, which is why I still think it goes higher from here. Yeah, and, and so it's up 70% year-to-day, which tells you what that tailwind is for the entire sector. Uh, but, you know, the good news here is there's 3.4 million people suffering from epilepsy globally. Uh, excuse me, in this country. And this is something where um, you're starting to see the, the insurance market be able to actually cover this drug. And you're actually seeing that. So 10 percent of this is Medicare, 45 is Medicaid. And then the other 45 percent is all commercial. Express Scripts, for example, is allowing people to get paid uh, through this formulary. And, you know, that's great news for the company. Um, clearly, there are some FDA catalysts in the year ahead. And I think this company right now on the science side remains so far ahead of everybody because of their ability to work with the FDA. In terms of when you said, uh, what's the number on epilepsy? That's a total patient population. Yeah. This is for a particular rare form of epilepsy, yep. specifically in children. So the market is much smaller. Do you feel like because there's sort of a... Uh, there's there's not many stocks you can express a view uh, that cannabis is going to be a major player in pharma, that this is maybe the only way and therefore there's yes. a higher bid to it. No doubt about it. And, and, and this is also when people want to play medical pharma. Yeah. They play this. And, and you're right. I mean, a third of the patients with epilepsy are the ones that really would be benefiting from, from this. But the point is that people are looking for uh, the science. And these guys continue to show that science and research applied diligently with the FDA gets approvals. And that's going to happen with many companies to come. We wear these things in our ears. For the, this is inside IFB. baseball. It's called yeah. Yeah, IFB. I yeah. know what it stands for. I can't say it on live TV. But <laughs> it allows us to hear what the people back in Englewood Cliffs are saying. And the crack staff just informed me, Kristen and Amanda, that we power pitched this sucker back in August 2017. That's quite a long time ago. Wow. But the stock is 2017. Yeah, yeah where was Look it? Look at the stock. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there. Well, no, it was, oh, much, it was significantly lower than it is now. I think the stock's oh. up some 50-ish percent. But great job by the staff in Englewood Cliffs just getting it done like that. Great job with the, the fast pitch, power pitch, whatever you Brilliant. want to call it. And great job explaining an IFB. Yeah, well, Not so great. No. <laughs> Final trades. Final trade, Tim. My friend Karen says, if you go home long a stock, it's the same thing as buying it. So GW Pharma, those are great numbers. I stay long. Speakers. Well, I happen to think the Fed's going to make a steep yield curve. Good for the banks. Buy KRE. Chairwoman. Yes. Okay. Home Depot today. I guess the bar was pretty high. I actually thought those earnings were good. A little disappointment from the street, but I think the company's still great. The outlook's great. I like the valuation here, and if rates are low, I think it's good. Home Depot. Guy down. A spirited, spirited show this evening. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. Well anchored by you, I just want to say. <laughs> Wing Resorts, you had some probably bad news. Stocks trading well. I think that is, in my world again, a tell, Mel. All huh. right, that does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.